One of my passions is passionate leadership. And recently I had the privilege of interviewing a visionary thinker and futurist, Anne-Marie McInerney. This interview was wide-ranging, but it really zeroed in particularly on how she has lived her life not seeking permission to deliver leadership. And that's what fascinated me. I think you'll enjoy this. This is a woman who has wide-ranging influence in leadership throughout the world through many organizations, particularly offering education and tools to organizations, government organizations, corporate organizations, not-for-profit organizations. She really lives that passion of leadership. So enjoy this interview with Anne-Marie McInerney. And we now have a 10-year window of opportunity that they've said, if we don't actually put the investment now into renewable energy and to, to many other things in terms of sustainable development, the world as we know it will not be the same into the future. And if we think this pandemic is going to be a problem economically, it's nothing compared to what's ahead. Welcome, it's Alicia Power here, and welcome to the Alicia Power podcast. Today we've got an amazing guest, a dear friend of mine, Anne-Marie McInerney. Anne-Marie's the founder of an organisation called MOSS, which is Models of Success and Sustainability, which is an Australian-based industry body for corporations, governments and not-for-profit organisations interested in corporate social responsibility and sustainability. Anne-Marie's been the founder and working in promoting and uh, going out into the industry world, into the corporate world, um, working with individuals as well, teaching them about innovation, responsible business practices globally through education, training, networking, tools and advice, driving sustainability, zero waste, innovation and competitive business success. Amory, welcome. I'm just so excited that you're here. I'd like to know a little bit more just really quickly about Moss and just some of the successes you've had, just a couple of stories, because I just want to say that your driving force, your passion as a leader um, motivated you to create this organisation yourself and go out there teaching government, teaching corporations. What a fire in the belly you have. I've just got so much admiration. So tell us a little bit more about Moss. Yeah, look, thanks, Alicia. And yes, we've known each other for, I don't know, over 20 years now. And you were actually at my first Corporate Social Responsibility Summit. And it's a good place to start because I knew that there needed to be change. I didn't know really what to do, but it was like, the first thing is, how do we inspire people? Let's show some leadership. And my very first keynote opening speaker is the rock star of all rock stars in my world. Um, he knew leadership at an incredible level. Uh, his name was Ray Anderson and he was the head of the biggest carpet manufacturing company in the world. And he knew that he was part of the whole. And when his organisation started to be asked about what are you doing about the environment, 
he thought he was doing a lot of good stuff because everything he was doing was legal. So what I've done is I've taken some of these incredible people who thought he was doing the right thing. And as Ray said, when he realized that what everything he was doing was right, but it actually, it was legal, but it was not the right thing to do. It was like a spear went deep within his being and he had an awakening and realized that he needed to take his company on a very different journey. And that was to climb mountain sustainability. He had no idea what it was going to look like. So I think some of my successes have actually been around taking those who have actually been awakened and who have taken the steps within their own business because his company alone, Interface, has been the benchmark. It is still the benchmark globally of how to actually run not just a corporate uh, socially responsible business, but he's now taken his carpet manufacturing business to a level where he is regenerative in what he's doing to the environment in which he operates in. It's just extraordinary the lengths that people have gone. So I took a lot of that leadership of others, but I also, for me, it was a very personal journey too, because at the time in Australia, when I did that first summit back in 2006, we were in the height of a drought and animals are my first love. That's the thing that um, gets my juices absolutely going. And at that stage, here we were having farmers who were having to go out and kill their family. You know, they name, they know who every one of their goats or sheep or, or cattle are and uh, it, the drought was so bad. And so that was absolutely heartbreaking and devastating for me. And that's actually been what's driven a lot of what I've done. Today, there are three things that I always knew that we needed to focus on. One was innovation. We now have that in spade loads. And I've gone to seek out the latest innovation and I, and I work in an area called the blue economy. And that's not just about oceans. This is the work of over 20 years of three and a half thousand scientists looking for the cutting edge innovation inspired by nature with zero waste. It's the most extraordinary body of work. So I very much use that and try and embed that um, into various projects. So innovation, education. We also took a lot of policy and turned it into how to's because there was no education. So I saw um, there was a real gap in the market. So how do, we, how do we help people? And they needed education. People were being given jobs and titles and they had no idea where to start. So the third thing is investment. I've taken various delegations off to UN conferences around the world. And it's probably no surprise to many that the discussion is actually about money. <laughs> um, and they say the world is awash with money, but I didn't know anyone who could really tap into it. And we now have a 10-year window of opportunity that they've said, if we don't actually put the investment now into renewable energy and to, to many other things in terms of sustainable development, the world as we know it will not be the same into the future. And if we think this pandemic is going to be a problem economically. It's nothing compared to what's ahead. So the most exciting thing in many ways that I'm doing now within Moss is providing investment channels and opportunities. So we've got projects right around the world, whether it's hospitals, whether it's 
biorefineries taking agricultural waste that's currently being burnt and causing health issues and actually creating jobs, creating alternative sources of, of fuel, for example. So that's what I'm really doing these days within the sort of moss arena. And it's, it is very heartening and, um, yeah, we're, we're at that stage now. We found um, a lot of individual funders, but we've also tapped into some humanitarian funding. And that humanitarian funding in many ways couldn't have come at a, a better time because it's actually about job creation. So we are creating jo meaningful jobs where they're making a material difference in the world. So that's what gets me out of bed every day. Wow. To be there to be able to provide the different tools that people need to create the change that they need in the world. Wow. So the, the thing I just want to say is it's such a privilege to be talking to you today <laughs> because there's passion, there's leadership, there's initiative. You, you've started Moss just on your own and you went out there and did it. What an example you are. I just want to say and against that. the odds, can I tell you against the odds? Let's hear some of the had, odds. <laughs> what were the odds? Well, some of the odds have very much been, when there is no policy, there is no lever for change. So we had governments that there was no policy, then we had full policy, and then more changes of government, and they've taken that policy away. We had fundamental change happening in our society and in corporations. But when government says you don't need to do that anymore, took the foot off the pedal and investment wasn't happening in renewable energy, everything slowed down. So that was so frustrating for me. And that in some ways is what drove me into the finance side where I wanted to look to see what I could do in countries where they were hungrier. Around the world, there is so much hunger for a lot of this innovation and education and certainly investment. So can you tell us a little bit of which countries that, that you feel are really hungry? Oh, I actually think most of the countries that are hungriest, and I suppose because I'm positioned in Australia, I, I really never wanted to do much in terms of Europe or the United States. And certainly from an, an EU perspective, they are streets ahead. The UK and the European Union are streets ahead. So there's been quite a lot um, in Africa and quite a lot right across Asia. So whether it's India, whether it's Pakistan, um, whether it's um, not so much Singapore, lots in the Philippines, Thailand, lots and lots of stuff in different parts of, of Africa. So yeah, they're the main areas that I have been focusing. Wow, that's fascinating. And they're just at a time where they don't want to create the bad habits and patterns of what's happened in other parts of the world. They want to leapfrog that. And when they learn about zero waste and they don't waste much anyway, they haven't been afforded the luxury of being able to buy what they want, when they want, how they want. So they've never really created a lot of waste but plastic for example is a massive problem right around the world and when you start to show people how you can cluster together it doesn't actually need governments to make these changes how you can cluster together if you've got the right innovation you can create food security 
you know, you can create new jobs and new industries. Uh, they're not always expensive. So I use a lot of those tools and you just start to have conversations with people. They'll come to you about a particular project and then you say to them, and, and I'll give you one example. Um, this might be a bit of a, an eye opener to some people, but food security, particularly in somewhere like Ghana, they're doing a lot in terms of growing their own chickens, but it's very expensive for the food to actually feed them. So they're often using soy and they're often using fish meal. So we're actually taking from the food chain to feed spe you know, other species. So I've said to them, okay, there is something called the black soldier fly. And the black soldier fly they have learnt is a very voracious eater, but they're using that to eat the food waste to create maggots. Now, maggots does not sound terribly exciting. <laughs> this is a 600 <laughs> <Hate maggots. laughs> million dollar feeding our chickens, feed, you know, feeding our, our poultry, our fish, pigs, etc., in the most natural way they can. High protein. So instead of turning our waste just into compost, which is important because our soils are so depleted, but to actually upcycle it into something that has a higher value. So by feeding it to the maggots and by creating, they dry the maggots, it's actually very sophisticated. <laughs> uh, it doesn't sound very sexy, but to me, this is one of the best things that we have ways that we can feed the world cheaper, closer to nature, without it uh, impacting the human food chain. So um, when they learn about these sorts of things, can I tell you, they just totally light up. They want to know more about everything. They're hungry. Where else do they know this? Even in a country like Australia, and I know that it is very much the same in Europe, wherever else, there are very few people who know about this stuff. So to be able to, this really is the cutting edge. This is systems thinking. This stands on the shoulders of the green economy. This is a new way of being that is inspired by nature. We're looking at every aspect of what we do and the impacts that it creates, and we need to do that. And right now, in this time of this pandemic, um, that I think is something that we're all thinking about. How do we want to live into the future? Mm, absolutely. You know, We've got clean water in our canals at the moment, now river systems. We have the lowest carbon emissions since World War II right now. The impact of that, you know, is just enormous and it will help reduce the extreme climatic events that were happening around the world. But if we go back to business as usual at the end, well, we know the trajectory that we're on. So it's, it's time for us all to take a leadership role and to think about what we're doing and maybe make some different decisions as we move into the future. Anne-Marie, it seems to me that this is a time where you need to even step up even more into a public role and educate, um, maybe more on social media. I'm, I'm just thinking, it's just in my mind, I'm thinking the information that you are sitting on over the decades that you've been working on this and over the exposure to this cutting edge innovation that you just know so intimately and you understand and you've studied so deeply um, and you've got so many networks and connections all around the world that uh, just this information needs to be standard somehow it needs to be coming straight into the mainstream somehow 
maybe this yeah. maybe this uh, conversation will be spread really widely. <laughs> well, look, I hope so, and I'm happy to have oh. conversations at any time. And that's my dog having a conversation. <laughs> So, Anne-Marie, you're, you're talking about currently with the pandemic, there's an ease in um, the natural systems around the planet because humanity's not so active, we're not so out there, we're not yeah. running around madly, we're not out in our cars as much, we're not using up probably as many natural resources. What do you think is the best way for all of us as humanity, as a global family, to ease back maybe after this pandemic as everything is, is maybe coming back to so-called a little bit normal. I don't know if it ever will be. I'm sure there's going to be a huge readjustment in many different ways, many different systems around the planet. But as we come back out into normal life, what do you think governments, we as a family, human family need to do to have this as an opportunity for nature to regenerate to come back I do feel that what you were saying just now was it's almost opening a window of an opportunity that that there is an opportunity here for us as humanity to not aggravate nature quite as much as we were before what do you think what's a few things that we could be doing maybe as organizations as governments I think there's one fundamental thing that we can do differently, and that is work from home more often. It's such an interesting thing that, you know, here we are, even government in Australia, they've recalled parliament, and I know not everybody's coming in, but they are flying everybody back in tomorrow on private jets and RAF and whatever into Canberra tomorrow for a meeting. There is nothing that says by law they can't do it using technology. And I am gobsmacked that they are not using technology to do that. I think the world has all of a sudden gotten smaller. It was an excuse in the past, and, and a legitimate one at that, that business couldn't have people working from home like they are now. And it was partly because they didn't think we had the technology and they didn't want to invest in that. And do you know what? We very quickly, because we've had the technology, we've just shifted what we've needed running from home. Now, there was talk that our systems could fail us, um, but they haven't to date. I think people are still even streaming on Netflix and whatever else. But that is one thing to reduce everybody needing to get out into their cars, to reduce the need to get on planes, use technology more. That is one small thing that would make an incredible difference, an incredible difference. I think one of the things also that's going to come out of the pandemic is that even though people are allowed to exercise, they're not so much getting into nature, they're not necessarily going for nature walks, but I think there is a realisation of how important nature is. And if we don't care about something, we don't necessarily fight for it to the degree that if we were really passionate about it. And I hope, I really hope that one of the things that comes from this is that people have woken up to the fact that we have created such a toxic world to live in. That toxicity comes on many levels, 
but CO2 emissions is by far the most dangerous and that we can all do something to limit what that looks like. We've got more people, even a little thing at home, you know, more people are growing food locally. They're looking at what they can get locally. I don't think we're going to ship as many things around the world that we used to. I think we will grow more food locally. In Australia, most of our manufacturing has shut down and it's gone offshore. So not only has it gone offshore and we've lost jobs, but we're creating an enormous footprint every time we're shipping that and bringing that back in. So there are lots of little changes that we can be making that will add up to being significant. You know, we're not going to reduce emissions from things like um, farming. You know, we know that that's got a significant footprint with um, cows and, and so forth with their methane, but we're even finding better ways of, of handling that. But I think fundamentally, we will probably travel less. I think working from home more. Let's just get smarter about how we actually both look after each other. And I think in looking after each other, it means being less busy. It means being less, I need the latest and the greatest of everything. I think people will really reevaluate. Do they need the biggest and best of everything? This has been the greatest equaliser and people are realising what little that they actually need to survive and enjoy life. But I think that connection with nature has always been important because nature's mm. an incredible healer. Mm. Um, but it might be enough to make people stop and think, I don't want our river systems polluted again. I want a different world in which we live in and they can make the changes, but they hopefully can have the conversations with governments to say, let's do things differently. Absolutely. Those conversations and exactly what you've been talking about, I think needs to be like um, a social media conversation. I think that starts to need to go out. Like what happens now? Like what happens after this pandemic? How are we going to be thinking about our lives and our work after this pandemic? You know, what's, what has this said to us? <laughs> and as you said, you know, technology is there. Everybody's scrambled and we've, everybody's handling this. It's working. <laughs> we, you and I were talking about just before this interview, you know, the CNN anchors and um, on some of these big TV networks, they're at home with their kids, with, you know, with their libraries behind them, just continuing to to operate and and it's just so sweet and it's a great leveler as you're saying and where their humaneness their humanity is just shining through that just normal people just like that like just like us the other thing i was going to mention is that i feel what and it's probably has been talked about i haven't kind of heard these conversations but the obvious thing it's like it's right in front of us it's sometimes that we can't see it it's so strongly in front of us, which is that it is such a small world. Humanity is so connected now, uh, yes. not, not only just on the internet, but because, you know, we are so interconnected with flight, with, you know, with the internet, but also physically that this virus has spread so easily throughout all the populations of the planet that we're, there's a recognition that it doesn't matter what color skin you've got, what language you're speaking, we are homo sapiens and we're all in this together as this species, as a species. And suddenly there's a little bit of a challenge to 
that species and suddenly we're going oh you know all the divisions and all the you know suddenly it's like no we're just one we're human and we've got to look after each other we've got to keep yeah we've got to look after each other it's a really simple thing yeah and i think people I've actually been really busy. I'm sort of a little bit envious of these people who are having this downtime at home, but um, it's just so important to stop. We don't stop very often. And people connecting to their families, you know, in a way that, you know, we were lucky to grow up where we didn't have all of those distractions and technologies. We did really simple things in our lives that created so much joy for us. So having families reconnected, but all I keep hearing is people saying how different the world will look into the future. And I can almost hear in their voices, they've stopped, they've reconnected to their hearts and gone, what's actually important here? And um, I think we're going to find different ways of doing things. And I do think that we will not just respect each other, but respect the planet on which we live more than we've done for a very, very long time. And I, and fundamentally, I think if we, I always ask myself, what's the significance of a situation and what's the opportunity at the other side? And this is an incredible opportunity. And I almost think it's a test for humanity. Are we going to pass this? Are we looking after each other? Are we looking after the planet that feeds us? That, that gives us the air to breathe, you know, the water to drink. And I, I do, I'm, I am feeling a real sense of a shift that people are, because they've slowed down, they've got this realisation of what's important in the world. Mm. But media have got a lot to answer for. And I think the more positive stories that come out about the changes that are happening in the world. And there are some fantastic little things that are floating through um, social media in terms of the vision that people have at the end of this, that we do actually live differently, that we think differently, that we've taken care of mother earth. We've taken care of each other better than we have for a long time and that we might fight for those values. Mm. Wow. I love that. That gives me so much heart. That's the stuff that's been really exciting. Because if we can see something in our mind's eye, we can Mm. create it. So instead of the negative vision, what's the positive vision? So we really need our media outlets to focus on the positives. And, you know, people are recovering from this pandemic. There is an incredible amount of good that's coming. I studied something many years ago, through Dr. John D. Martini. Some of your um, listeners and viewers may know who he is. He's done incredible work, but he talks about chronology, the positives in the negatives and the negatives in the positives, and that there are always an equal number of positives in the negatives and an equal number of negatives in the positives. And I think we're just starting to see the best of humanity that's really shining through and that's what, at the moment, in the midst of all of this, that's what may, is making my heart sing. And people need to be given a chance to step up. And sometimes people go, well, that's government's responsibility or that's my CEO's responsibility or that's somebody else's. Uh-uh. Right now, it's every one of us. And people are being given an opportunity to step up 
And my, oh my, some of the things people are doing is just incredible. I feel like everyone's heart is opening, as you said previously, and they're, they're beginning to feel each other and see each other's needs and remember that we're, we're all of this together, we're all humans together, and this, the compassion is starting to crack open our hearts and we're beginning to feel again. As you said before, you know, the busyness of, and the pace of life can shut our hearts down. We're rushing to the to the subways, to the buses, and to our cars, and trying to get to work, and trying to maximise those office hours, and trying to get home. You know, just the busyness, and the, the not stopping, and we've all suddenly been forced to stop, but also we're watching humanity struggle um, with something very intense, and very real, and so our hearts are opening. Emery, I've got a quick question. What are you working on now? What's a project that is pretty special for you right now? <laughs> Okay, so probably the most important thing for me to be working on right now, I'm doing lots of lots of things, but something that I've put on the back burner, which I can't put on the back burner anymore, is my whole passion around animals. So that's going to be my focus from a personal perspective moving forward. I've got clients and I've got projects that I need to, you know, see to fruition, but actually finding ways for people to connect to animals, to open their hearts. If we, the planet will survive without us, but we can't survive without mother nature. We've been killing off the most important creatures that we need for our survival. Things like bees and the bugs that live in our soils and systems, you know, without bees, we can't pollinate our food. Um, We've been chopping down forests. We need all of these species to live in balance and harmony. So to be able to share the importance of that, but not just the importance of it, the joy of it. And I can't disclose too much of the detail behind what I'm um, proposing, but I've been working on a, a new sustainable development um, institute and that connect and connection to nature. So a lot more of it's really going to be connected to nature, connecting people in ways that perhaps we haven't done in the past, but we can do with the technology that we have today. Oh, that's exciting. That's, that's, that's going to be one of the keys I had an experience recently. And Alicia, you and I have been off swimming with the whales in, um, in Tonga together. And that is the most extraordinary heart opening experience to be in the water with the biggest creatures on earth. The respect that you have with them as you're swimming along with them. And of course they come to you and they're very inquisitive and loving and it's just the most awesome experience. I, um, I had some experiences recently of being able to do that using technology. And I have to tell you, I haven't stopped thinking about it ever since. And here we are in our homes, desperate to get out into nature, desperate to get out and do some of those things. And I'm so delighted that our zoos are streaming these things to um, the internet, to TV stations. And we're using all sorts of technologies to be able to connect up. So just say there's going to be a little bit of that going on. 
Oh my gosh, that just sounds fabulous. I've got another yeah. question for you, just really quickly. Just let's zoom all the way back to your childhood and how you were brought up. And I'd like you to just share with us a moment maybe, I don't know if it's very conscious for you, but it might come up for you. A moment that was a pivotal moment, which helped you have a realization that you can't wait for everybody else. You actually have to innovate. You have to follow your initiative. You've got to follow your passion in your own leadership and create what you know needs to be created rather than waiting for everybody else. Was there a moment like that? Were you in childhood somewhere? I can't consciously say there was a moment like that, but can I tell you, I've known this my whole life. I haven't ever sat back and waited for anything. It, it's interesting because the thought that I just that just came to me in it, and it must be significant to have had the thought. I can remember being in grade one and being asked, "Could you do something?" And in fact, it was it was a silly thing, you know. Can you swim? I couldn't swim, but I put my hand up. I can swim. I can swim. <laughs> and um, I was so frustrated that I couldn't do something because I hadn't achieved something, and you know, in particular. And it's like, I don't want anything to stop me from being able to advance life. And I didn't like being told you necessarily can't do something. It's like, of course, we can all do something. And of course, you know, didn't take long. And I was determined I was going to learn how to swim. But, you know, at a really young age, I just knew how to do things. I never wanted to be told. And in fact, um, apart from maybe a couple of teachers who might have tried to sort of slow me down, um, I've never listened to anyone tell me I couldn't do anything. I've just gone off and done stuff. And most people never tried to stop me. They, you know, it's like when you volunteer to do things, oh, I'll organise that, they let you. So I don't know. There is a huge part of me that's just always done it. Um, Henry, I just want to say, I really love what you've just said, which is, if you just go ahead and do it, everybody's happy that you're doing it and they yeah. won't stop you. They don't. You know, virtually what I created with Moss and doing this first CSR summit here in Australia in 2005, they didn't know about it. It's like, no one was saying you can or can't do anything. It's like, I saw a need... I created something, I just did it. And I've just always done that. And sometimes you just need to turn up and see what happens. So I, I try and turn up and whatever it takes, like you asking me to have this conversation, it was like, oh, I'd love to have the conversation because um, you just don't know where these things are going to take us because we're the ones who create the boundaries in our mind's eye and in our lives. We can have and we can do whatever it is that we truly want. If you can see it, you can create it. And we've got to stop focusing on what we don't want and focus on what we want. And let's power ahead and go get it. Completely. I just want to quickly say, in your journey with Moss, um, Models of Success and Sustainability, you would be coming up against government organizations, you'd be approaching government organizations, you'd be approaching corporations with your knowledge, with your skill, with your awareness, trying to pull them up 
into a higher level of knowledge, into a higher level of capability for the good of the planet, for the good of the people, social responsibility and, uh, you know, sustainability. As you approach government organisations and government departments and policymaking departments and corporations, how do you do it? How do you shift their perspective? How do you get them on board with you? So I have learnt that if they're not ready, don't don't even waste your time on having the conversation. I've been involved in briefing governments and so forth on the status quo, particularly around climate change. And look, there is a certain level of interest. What I have found is you put something out there and see who turns up. So that's what I have found. And once they turn up, then you can have those conversations and then they'll ask, well, what about this and what about that? And there's a lot of people that want and need the mentoring out there. So I've actually turned things around and I really provide something that is inspiring as the hook to get them interested. So it could be something that's new to them. I've done a lot around communicating sustainability, which is what they had as a problem. And that just opened so many doors to show them so many different new ways of doing things. So it's not me knocking on the door. It's not that typical approach. It's like, who's ready? And when they're ready, they just, yeah. It's, it's like um, build it and they will come. So I'm, I'm ready to take on and tackle whatever those companies are or governments who've got those problems to help guide them but they've got to be ready for it. Wow. Okay, so final statement to whoever, whatever audience is watching this interview, and maybe it is people in leadership, maybe it is just everybody else who's just trying to do their best day by day. What would you love to say to them? What's your, your major statement? What sort of world do you want? Not just for us to be living in, but for future generations to be living in. This is the time for each and every one of us to make some positive changes in our lives. We can't do it alone. We need different thinking. We need multi-dimensional or uh, teams uh, multidisciplinary teams, people with a different view on things. This is time to start to explore what the future needs to look like. You don't need to do everything at once, but you just need to start. And sometimes it's by coming from a place of, well, I want to do things differently. How do I do it differently? You know, we don't have all of the answers and there are lots of new models of thinking, lots of new practices, lots of new innovation, that the rest of the world just don't know about. For me, the big thing is, how do I practice harmlessness? Maybe that's something that we can all ask ourselves. How do we live in the world, be of service in the world, but not create the harm? So for me, it's always about practicing harmlessness. I don't want to judge and point the finger at others. Most of the time, people are fundamentally trying to do the right thing. But maybe it's time for some different conversations. Maybe it's time to, to really go within 
go out in nature if you possibly can, because that's where you're really going to be able to, you know, drop the concrete walls that we've been living in, connect and remember that we're part of the whole. But I think it's time to just go within what's important to us. How can we protect that moving forward? And let's start to have some different conversations because every single person can contribute to this and you might be very pleasantly surprised when you open the conversation up where it can take you. Yeah, I completely concur. And something else that you said, which is really pivotal for this conversation that we've just been having, and that is that every single person listening to this, if you just start something that's passionate in your heart, people will follow you. People will allow you to do it. It really is about shining your leadership and stepping out and beginning that passion project or whatever it is that you see needs to take place and that you're feeling to put your shoulder behind and start kicking something in, activating something. And people will love it. People will get behind you. It's just the, one of the most beautiful things that you've said, Anne-Marie, is that right throughout your life, you've never asked anyone permission and you've just gone ahead and created things and everybody's just followed and allowed it but, and loved it. Yeah, but in a way, you know, did, it always came from my heart and it was creating, a, showing a new way. It was, I certainly hope it was inspirational because where do we all get fed? You know, where do we go for our information? There is such extraordinary people out there doing some incredible work. And um, I bet many of them have never asked permission. They've just gone and done it. I just, I want to share one little story, which I thought was beautiful that I heard yesterday is um, there's a young fellow who's at university. His sister's a doctor. She was working, you know, 16 hour days and the brother was checking in, how are you going? And, you know, have you eaten? And she's going, oh, well, you know, I've got, a, I've had a muesli bar and it's like, you can't survive doing the most important work on the planet right now on just a muesli bar. So he decided he would start to cook her fresh food and take that to her and then realised that he wanted to do that not just for her, but to other frontline medical staff. Well, he's now created this chair. Didn't ask permission. He just saw something that you know, his heart was going, oh, I need to look after my sister. And it just it has exploded into this full kitchen that's creating thousands of meals now for, you know, the hospital where his sister is. And it's going to pop up everywhere. Yeah, just don't ask permission. <laughs> you know, if you're not doing any harm, and that's why I sort of talk about the practising harmlessness. So it's like if you're going to create some good out there, Sometimes just go do it. Do you really need permission to be kind to people? I don't think so. And I feel that this is an opportunity for people to feel that sense of kindness in them and to follow that, follow that passion. Amory, yeah. I've just so enjoyed chatting to you and I've really enjoyed just what you are, who you are, that, that shininess, the congruency, the authenticity. It's just who you are. And that is... You know, it's just an element that needs to be seen, needs to be emulated. And everybody watching this will be nourished just by who you are and what you are, that fearlessness. You don't need permission from anyone and just begin, just start your passion, follow your passion and contribute, the contribution. 
opportunity here for so many people. Thank you so much. Nothing makes, nothing makes me happier than to be able to share that. So delighted. To, I was so thrilled to have the conversation. Thank you so much. And um, where can people find you if they want to open a conversation with you? So you'll find me on LinkedIn. You can have a look at my website, moss.org.au and my email address, amm at moss.org.au. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Pleasure, Alicia. <laughs>